Hello and welcome to the Breach Print Podcast. We've got Zach and a guest with us today, Brian from Big Top Gaming. How's it going? Doing just fine. Uh, thanks for having me today. I'm I'm looking forward to talking about some Malifaux because I've just been uh, so entrenched in that system that it's kind of skyrocketed to my number one right now. Yeah, absolutely. Well, as a Neverborn shill, uh, I did watch part of your Euripides video, and I very much appreciated it. I love Euripides He's... so much. Like when he <laughs> first came out, I was just like, "Big models, Neverborn. I'm all about this." Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I I just played him against Scott. Uh, yeah, on Wednesday. Yeah, on Wednesday, playing my uh, Karai, and the 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 wide boys uh, squeaked out a tie. Or maybe yeah. I squeaked out a tie. Or, I don't know. It was a tie. <laughs> Brian, do you uh, subscribe to a specific faction, or are you more of a all-rounder? So um, for for those who know me from the Ice and Fire and War Machine world, will be um, very cognizant of my all-in attitude. So uh, currently, I play every faction. And when I the way I work... I systematically pick up the entire faction. So I don't just sit on one master or say, oh, cool, Levy looks neat. I'm going to go pick up his box. It's like, okay, outcasts have one master that I'm interested in. I will just go ahead and buy that whole faction. And I think sometimes Malifaux's uh, programming of the way they approach competitive play uh, really sets the stage for that. So it's kind of like the best worst case scenario with me. I get to pick up all the cool stuff, but I also kind of feel like I have to. So those that know me from the War Machine or Ice and Fire meta will recognize that uh, I don't really have a partially in mode. Uh, when I get into a game, I, my major goal is to pick up the entire line. So I first started out by getting into Explorers, and my goal was to pick up that whole faction. So I did that, and then I was like, oh yeah, I really, really like this game. Let's go back to Neverborn and Arcanist, which I'd started out with Zoraida and Rasputina back in M1E. And I've finished, I'm finishing out those factions. Uh, additionally, like I just pick up everything. I feel like I get a better feel for the game when I actually get to play these models. And Malifaux or Weird's world is so deep and interesting that there's no reason for me to not pick up everything and in my collector mindset. So uh, I, I will probably by the time February comes around end up owning the entire line that Malifaux has to offer and that that perfectly resonates with me. So uh, right now I'm very much feeling uh, never born an Arcanist, um, but Damien's just really fun to play. And I thought I had a lot with two complete factions. <laughs> but I don't actually complete like any of my factions. It's usually like I get like half of a faction and I kind of like play with that. Maybe, maybe five keywords in a faction, but like I don't even own all the resers. Yeah, I'm an equal opportunity hirer when it comes to uh, crew crew building. So um, I don't feel like my collection is complete until I've finished out the line. Plus, it, it, like I said, their world is just so interesting and the game is so phenomenal that I really have no reason to not play everything. Yeah, like I've been running uh, through the Breach campaign with my friends and like I just I love the world and the history and the characters and just the feel of the setting. So. I'm very much like just into the the universe overall. Yeah, it's much easier for me to say which which factions don't resonate with me so much, and I'm very much not uh, in any game that I play. I tend to stay away from like the good guy governing body, and I know the guild aren't good guys per se, but they kind of they they 
they definitely deliver those vibes a little bit. So uh, if it weren't for Nelly and Dashel and uh, uh, Tull, I probably wouldn't even go into those factions. But uh, since I like three of the masters, I will collect the whole faction. And that's that's one of the nice things I like about the Malifaux world. There's not a whole lot of, uh, uh, you know, this person's the goody-goody and this guy's the bad. There's a lot of gray area in there where, you know, some of the a lot of people, there there's some good things and some bad things, but yeah, a lot of uh, moral ambiguity in the in the uh, characters. So yeah, I hope that gives a good overview of kind of where I res where I sit. Like my my overall aura projects blue and purple, but um, I I do like everything in the game. Your uh, uh, YouTube channel then? The YouTube channel that I started maybe four or five years ago is called Big Top Gaming. And uh, I, I live in a city where the Ringling Circus was founded, so uh, that's where the, the name comes from, at least. Uh, I, I really tried hard to avoid getting the Carnival Crew because I felt like it was a little too on the nose, but I just couldn't leave it behind. Um, at any rate, my history with Wargaming is uh, I first got introduced to it in or with Mage Knight way back... I can't even remember the time period specifically. It was just in the invasion block of Magic because I think I bought my first little booster of those when Apocalypse came out. And uh, that was, I kind of flirted with Wargaming a little bit there and then stopped and didn't get back into it until someone kind of forced some models on me to paint for 40k, um, maybe 10 years ago, something like that. And then shortly after I got into 40k, I was introduced to Malifaux. So Malifaux was my first non-40k game. And uh, from there, I've just kind of been skipping through the field of all the different types of games that are available out there, settled up in War Machine really hard. Now I'm really big into Ice and Fire, and now we've kind of come full circle again to Malifaux being one of my main games that I play. I typically will do battle reports, tactic discussion, and uh, painting tutorials are a little bit iffy right now, uh, just because of kind of moving things around in my house after my sister-in-law moved out. But, you know, it, that that's kind of the gist of, of what we do. I try to engage all parts of the hobby with the YouTube channel. So Malifaux has been showing up in tactic discussions and battle reports, and then hopefully we'll be doing some painting tutorials soon once I kind of get things squared away. But um, lots of fun stuff to have on that channel. I think we're up to maybe three tactics videos now and two battle reports after I get done editing this monstrosity of a Hoffman battle report. Yeah, I'm glad I never got into that kind of thing. That looks like way too much work. It's a labor of love. Mm -hmm. I'm still <laughs> reeling at the fact that I'm surrounded by a bunch of purple. Oh, you love it. You love it. <laughs> Says the one that's like like putting on a facade as green currently. I I'm, see you. I know, what you. I know what you're about. I'm green Kurt curious right now. So, you know, green but curious. my heart and love goes out to the purple. Uh -huh. Castor is a gateway drug. Uh, well, no, I <laughs> at the near the end of two E, I bought a almost completely uh, uh, resur set from a guy in uh, I believe it was Denmark. It was completely painted, so I was kind of getting a little burned out since I've been playing re or uh, Neverborn for forever and a day since I got in the game. So he was selling it at a good price, so I bought it. So I have now almost complete completely painted. Reser faction, so uh, I've been doing Neverborn for a year and a half, so I'm like, well, let's get some of these Reser models some love. I think Neverborn to Resers is a really easy transition to get into if you're really liking a lot of the things that Neverborn present to you. It's kind of like a, it's like the left Twix. 
I just like, you know, the, the larger and more grotesque the monster, the more I'm going to enjoy it usually. So, that of course, was... I started... I started with Neverborn and then moved over to, to Resurrectionist after Neverborn made my friends real not happy in the early stages of, of us learning the game. Dropping Pandora and Dreamer and the people just ain't the way to teach somebody how to play Sonya. So, yeah. you know. No, the, the bigger the models in the faction, the more interested I am in it. So Neverborn mm-hmm. has a lot of the, has a lot more of the big baddies, uh, Arcanists kind of blows into that as well so um another reason why guild kind of like doesn't always resonate with me because a lot of theirs are just like regular regular people whereas i just really like my big nasties Mm -hmm. it's part of what i like about evs is they got some of the the cooler big models and explorers oh man calypso is just like the man chef's kiss the 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 beast the 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 crab tank (laughs) well and i think you know uh I guess we're kind of branching off from what we were going to be talking about, the errata, but I think that's why a lot of uh, Rezzers and Neverborn are the gateway drugs for people getting into Malifaux, because, I mean, it's kind of like in World of Warcraft. Who wants to play a human? I want to play something else. I want to play that big uh, stompy monster or whatnot. Some people might say Rezzers is easy mode Malifaux and Born is hard mode Malifaux. I mean... It's not hard mode if you're perfectly balanced. Yes, which Neverborn is. But yes. everyone else is not perfectly balanced. Well, yeah, that's or are they? We're, we're about to discuss that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah, so well, uh, uh, get in the rata here and uh, touch on some models. Yeah, I have them pulled up here in a semi-random order. But Pandora had her face on the errata, so I figured we'd her first. Um, Sounds perfectly logical. Yeah. I mean, I know her card pretty well, so I know the changes here. Um, the real big thing is they took away her ability to get Amherst because everyone knows it was silly and abused. Uh, so we don't we don't need it. Um, you well, mean, you yeah. mean being able to just not get hit by people was just too good? Mm-hmm. Uh, I just say <laughs> win an ish. Then you can hit her all you want. But no, uh, yeah. I, I agree. It was it was needed. <laughs> it was way too uh, way too uh, abused. And I was one of those people who did that because I'm not a nice person. But mm-hmm. I still you think could just could just kill the doll. It's only three which, stones. That's true. But I still think a wicked doll is still useful to bring in Pandora because you could still give your models adversary, and then she could turn that adversary into a faster focus. So still think mm-hmm. a wicked doll is a, is a good model, and you know a three stone uh, uh, minion that uh, can score. Yeah, it is one of the best three-stone models in the game, easily. Yeah. Yep. So otherwise, uh, what other changes we got going on with Pandora? Yeah, well, her No Shelter here uh, got taken down from a three-inch aura to two inches, which isn't a huge Feasible. deal. Maybe was a little too crazy for the way people were playing her, but didn't really experience I, that a ton. I've certainly uh, made it so people would take, like, four damage just for activating, um, so... Okay. Yeah, yep. I mean, make it, make it that a little bit harder to set up makes sense. And also now her aspect of the fortune, she gets, not only does she still get to cheat, cheat with the top of her deck, but she'll also have a plus flip on her defense, which uh, makes her a little bit uh, more survival when people come in at her defense. But uh, not a lot of people like to attack her because Luck Thief, you know, it's like, oh, I just missed. Now I just healed you too. So. Yeah, she's already well, very, very tanky with stones and Luck Thief. So. Yep. Just getting a positive on defense 
honestly, is pretty nice. And then you can still cheat off the deck, too. So I feel like she's still pretty defensive without these, necessarily. I think she might have actually gotten the lightest touch of anything on this list. Yeah, and I do like the fact, too, that the her heed no fear now is, is you can't gain adversary. So, uh, well, I guess there will be a certain huntsman in uh, EVS who will not be putting adversary on her. Oh, you mean uh, in uh, Apex, rather? Yes. Good old Coops. Yep. Sure. It makes him a sad panda. He can't put adversary on her. We'll just put it on so, everyone else. So in other words, Pandora's trash. She's dead to the world. We cannot play her anymore. Move on. No, she's perfectly you know, fine. I think this might be, with, with that statement, it might be a good time to insert the, like, FAQs or errata updates always have this unfortunate side effect of people feeling like the model they've they've picked up spent time painting and spent time learning become immediately paperweights after getting rebalanced in a way that kind of makes them a little bit more set for the stage of playing in the game and i know that i don't need to talk to people to talk them off to or i don't need to put myself on a platform to talk people off the ledge on erratas but i think it makes it so that people can who've been leaning on a master that probably or a model that is way over the curve, it helps them get better at the game by adopting some of these uh, these things. Stop looking at what you've lost in the in that person in that model, and start thinking about ways that you can kind of contort your game to make sure that you're providing not just the, your opponent with a, a better experience, but a more balanced one. You know what I mean? Like I, I don't subscribe to the idea that I need to always show up to the table to just dumpster my opponent because I don't want I don't want to make I don't want to be the reason why my opponent just is like, well, screw this game. It's too busted or the developers don't know what they're doing. I would much rather play with something that's punching up than something that's kind of standing on this mountaintop kind of punching down on everyone with a bazooka or something, you know? So like, I think that's uh, it's easy to get into that mentality of thinking or lamenting your losses to the point where you feel like something becomes so absolutely worthless um, that you don't want to touch it anymore, but it really does introduce an opportunity for you to try and increase your game and not lean on things that are uh, so over the top. I absolutely yeah. agree. Yep. And honestly, like I, I feel like I feel like a certain context is important here. Where like, so some some of these cards unfortunately got into the public before this was officially dropped. Um, namely, uh, like next kids. There's a lot of lot of talk, and there's still a lot of talk about how they're just completely worth. Um, I feel like we need to overall as a community be better at taking the context, not based off of what they were previously. And it's like, because beforehand, you know, when you're, when you're playing, what you're fighting against is like, you're, you're in the shadow of, of Hoffman and, and, and the next kids and getting your master kidnapped turn one before you get to activate. Like those aren't, things that are going to be, you know, nearly as potent as they were previously. So like, yes, something, something like some of these models, like the next kids or whatever, no, they're not going to be as good as they were in, in that context, because that context doesn't exist anymore. We're in an entirely different competitive and just play context for the game as a whole. The meta is entirely shifted, whether or not we, I mean, we haven't established it yet, but as games start getting in, like I, I implore people to actually play some of these things and, Damien notwithstanding, I think will be in a much, I, I think these will be much more in line with a reasonable place than people are saying they are. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. I mean, uh, 
Yeah, it sucks to have what your favorite master get changed or whatnot. But if you're just focusing on what it used to be and not what it can be, you're always you're focusing on the wrong thing. Um, so it's just you, you know move on. Maybe it gives you okay. Well, now you don't like the, what they did to it, and it can give you a play a different master or go to the other version of the master. You know, uh, so I right. don't believe any of the OG masters got touched. Well, you know you can try them. You know just. The whole thing is, you know, if you focus on the problem, you're never going to come up with a solution. You gotta, you gotta yeah. look at, at for the solution to that problem. Yeah, like we're 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 not fighting, we're not fighting the 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 multiple death lasers a turn anymore. We're not we're not fighting the the Cadmus cancer list with you know the with all the botanists and all all the models and everything. Like it's been taxed in certain ways where like that list can't happen anymore. It's literally impossible to bring all those things. Um, like 33, the kidnap doesn't work like it did anymore. So like, I feel like a lot of people are contextually thinking about playing against that stuff when that stuff no longer exists. Yep. Yeah. And just to cap that off, I wanted to briefly mention the other Neverborn. Like we, we basically never get nerfs, perfectly fair. But Dreamer did get touched. And a lot of people still think that Dreamer 1 is uh, competitively mediocre, but I have been playing him since the changes, and I honestly have not noticed a difference. Um, before, you would have half the deck out, just removed from the game, and you would kind of just win by default, and it wasn't fun to play, and kind of objectively too good. So... Um, even though you only have, you know, maybe five to ten cards removed from the game at, in any given turn, uh, it's still an immensely powerful crew, and I uh, would love to play it against anybody. <laughs> so, yeah, I think, I mean, other, other than my my hyperbole and dramatic comments earlier, I think I think Pandora is perfectly fine. I thought she was fine before, honestly, but I think they, they, they cut out the few little things that could be seen as a negative play experience, and... I think she's in a perfectly fine area. Yep. Good. Good. She's seven and a half, eight out of ten. Yeah, easily. I. I. This is. She's still like, like when when the titles drop, she's still like, that laundry list of things I wanted Pandora to have is still on this model. So I still love her. And Candy still exists without uh, a nerf. So you know, perfectly fine. Yeah. Yeah. Keep that energy out of the out of the world. <laughs> okay. Well, let's move on to the other person we were kind of just talking about. So Nexus, one of many. Nexus. I do not know this crew nearly as much as you guys, so I'll let you about this one. So admittedly, I haven't actually played this version of Nexus. I've been, uh, I, I got my entire Cadmus crew out to a painter, so I'm waiting before, uh, you know, once I get them back, I'll play them. Um, so this this crew had a bit of an issue, and admittedly, part part of what made them strong is still there, which is just the absolute saturation of action points. Um, except they kind of had a weird they were they were just very difficult to kill overall. Um, with the, with the totems, you were getting like seventeen some odd AP or whatever before you even hired models with. 30 some odd health before you even hired models. Cause you're getting three of these things. The totems had eight health each. So like one of the biggest changes they did here was they just made it. So you don't get the totems for free. You have to actually buy them, which is they reduced the health by one, which 
puts them in one shot range for for certain things, which I honestly think is fine. Well, even if it is within one shot range, unless you're completely out of stones, you can always stone damage. So the the chances of them getting one shot are minimal until you start running out of stones, and even then they have to have a model that can actually do six damage to one of these. Um, also, I mean, a couple of things they what I like too is now if they use a token on you that uh, that can lower your dual total, it is done before cheating, whereas before it was after cheating. So I think that is a little bit better. It brings it in the line with chi. Just mm-hmm. um, the whole, yeah, like you said, the whole thing with the totems, I got to pay for them. So, I mean, you could still run the list as before. But you're gonna you're gonna have to drop something or drop some upgrades if you're running upgrades with them. It's just yeah. it's just a, a little bit less oppressive. I mean, they still have all the AP. If you're putting them behind uh, the group, then you know they're gonna be hard to get to for some crews. Uh, mentally, uh, shooters can still uh, take them out from a distance, but that was a thing before. Now they just have one less wound. The the big thing too is the play things where it limits the number of models that they can push, uh, which I think is actually in the long run could probably be the hardest thing that they got hit on. Maybe that's you know a hot take or not, but the the worst thing, um, especially if you're trying to get your crew all up the board at once. But uh, honestly, I think the big my, I think the biggest thing is is the change so they don't get their totems for free. Um, well, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I would say on 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 the back of their card. I, should, I guess I oh, sure, be a, sure. a better thing. I mean, some might is, argue the 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 stat five on drain life from stat six changing is a big deal too. Um, well, if they have parasites, your stat seven. Uh, most things are already stat five on that stat, so you're still winning ties on the same stat. So it mm-hmm. it's just it's just a little bit harder. Um, I, I don't think in the long run, when you look at playing these guys, if you're going to play them a lot, and the long run it's going to be that big of a deal. Yes, it will be a thing, but does it make them unplayable? Does it make it where they have to uh, get enough salt out that Ohio would be good on the roads through the wintertime? No. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I'd like to see these guys played. Like, this is something that, like, I haven't even touched my toes into yet. Um I know a lot of people are very upset about them right now, and I understand it. Almost everything on this card was touched. I've been there. I play Von Stuck. It happens. They, they, I mean, they still start with 9 AP and 18 health before you hire anything. So, I mean, AP and and being able to run around and do things, it, it scores you points and wins you games. So. Yeah, I think with, with Nexus, one of many, this is a very prime example of, like, how change management can be such a, a difficult thing for some people to reconcile with. Um, you know, the one of many isn't uh, isn't extremely old. People haven't had a ton of time to be able to react to like their competitive uh, their competitive presence in the meta, unless you've been playing with proxies since uh, Malifo Burns came out. Um, but the uh, the gist is that like if you can take yourself away from what they lost or what they used to be and just project yourself forward into the future, I think it allows you to look at this unit or not this unit, just Brian. Um, it, it allows you to look at this master uh, the way that weird intended you to look at it instead of how it decided to come out. I mean, like it's, it's not 
a secret that with doubling the masters of the game that some things are going to fly under the radar. Sometimes developers and playtesters play things the way they think they should be played and don't really put the elbow or put them through the stress test of how to break these things. You know, your your testing only exists as far or your, your testing is only as as successful until it gets to the public or the user. And then uh, you know, I feel like um, this change at least allows us to see how weird many to come across without being uh, ridiculously broken. So in, it provides your opponent with a better experience and you don't have to feel like so terrible by, you know, pushing, pushing the opponent to a point where they just will never want to play against another Explorers player. Or sometimes they're even, if you're in a bands format, like just uh, saying I banned Cadmus because I do not want to see the kids. It, it definitely kind of alters the way that you approach that competitive mindset as well. So it just allows people to uh, play things the way they're kind of intended in quotes to be played and explore things in a way. Cause I, I'm a, Cadmus was a keyword that I didn't really delve too much into when I first picked up Explorers. And then when Nexus one of many started to really get some momentum as a competitive powerhouse, I legitimately stayed away from it. I did not want to, come into my nerfing meta, like my burgeoning meta, we were kind of growing things back up from a little bit of a hiatus. I didn't want to be like, I love the, I love the Nexus model. I love them so much, but I could not bring myself to put them on the table because I did not want to uh, cut off or, or stifle someone's interest in the game because they played against these three annoying brats. Yeah, I agree. The only th other thing I thought that I really noticed, I thought that Will of Many could ignore insignificant before right it could yes yeah you, you um, could there was a trigger on it i believe that where you could turn off insignificant on the target yeah which doesn't matter as much since they don't have the totems for free but well i mean it was good for eyes and ears honestly but okay. it is what it is this is again this is one of those one of those ones where i feel like i just want to see people play it and i want to see where they where they go with it there and yeah we'll we'll we'll, we'll re revisit them after they've had some time to settle i think because this is probably one of the more hot button ones so we want to jump in uh maxine then here oh boy yeah. my girl maxine right well i'll <laughs> say i don't have a whole lot of opinion on this because i have, think i played against her once and i really don't know much about her changes so uh, uh i'll i'll keep my opinion to myself I have a bunch of experience with her, and hopefully my internet doesn't cut out, so I don't go on another tangent just to find out I wasn't here. Um, <laughs> so probably the biggest thing that was changed here was was Breach Burnt, our namesake, the thing. So previously, this ability was set up so when you discarded cards or cheated, you know, with a with a, with a card from your reconfigure suit, you'd get a heal. There was no real limit on it. And so it made sense within the design philosophy of the card. She has a bunch of abilities that discard a bunch of freaking cards to where, like, oh, I'm just going to calculate, discard 10 cards fishing for tomes. And sometimes, statistically, that would play out in a manner where you have a model on one health and you take one action, and that model is no longer on one health there on max health which, as many of you could probably imagine, is incredibly frustrating, especially in a keyword that in of itself is already saturated with quite a bit of healing. So that was change. It's, it's basically been made into a, a, a once-per-activation-per-model sort of deal. So, like, 
Maxine could sit there. She could hit her tome trigger on her melee three times and heal three different models, one health within her activation instead of, you know, hitting cascading magic on her, on her melee, discarding five cards, flipping three tomes, you know, healing Harada for three. Um, with that said, and speaking of Harada, that moves on to the second biggest change of this card, which is Etheric Terror, her melee attack, which used to be stat six targeting willpower, uh, has been changed to stat five targeting movement. And instead of handing out injured, it hands out staggered. So why does this matter? It matters because with Harada, he had his distraction aura. So when she would leap him and friends forward to punch somebody, he would put you on a negative to defend yourself. And so I believe this was changed entirely because it was NPE sort of situation where it was incredibly easy for you just to set up so your opponent couldn't defend themselves. And that sucks. Um, they also, they dropped the stacking injured and instead gave her staggered to, to go along with the resistant of movement. So in the grand scheme of things, what does this do? This untethers her from Harada, which in of itself is pretty liberating. Going to stat five against movement is interesting, mainly because I don't think it actually hurts your accuracy all that much. But what it does do is it allows you to avoid basically all of the defensive tech that exists for, you know, just defensive triggers. You just dodge all that shit, which is pretty cool. And when you hit now, um, you hand out staggered, which is effectively like hitting somebody with injured two previously. Um, so what I think this kind of sets her up for is she's going to launch herself into a group of people. She's going to smack somebody for staggered and she's going to shift stuff around with mass of tentacles. So she's just going to gunk up a board. She's just going to scrum it up. She's going to lock down a couple models and they're just going to be in a crappy place where they can't be saved. Um, so that's neat. Um, this kind of plays in with, uh, with Bo, who I think you really want to bring now because his healing is far more necessary. He also hands out staggered on his melee, but his big thing is is tossing out a hazardous aura around a marker. So you bring you bring him along to like hazard out like a scheme marker or something. She locks somebody down so they can't get away, and then you shift them around in hazardous and make them have a really bad time. There's two more changes on here. They 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 change the the target number on her bonus action along with the resistance um, for the action, which I don't think is a huge deal. But the, the last main thing, which I think is, is kind of a stealth buff that uh, I think people may not be giving much credit, is the fact that, like, a split across worlds gains staggered. So previously it didn't have staggered on it. It did everything else that it does just without staggered. And I, I'd been on record multiple times talking about how I just thought it was an incredibly niche action that you basically don't use 95% of the time. Now, however... Staggered on a stick is really good. On approach, you could reach out and tag somebody. So now suddenly a model that would have been able to like charge you probably can't anymore. It's a situation where later on in the game, if you got multiple fights going on and she's kind of finishing up what she's doing in one spot, she can reach out and stagger somebody from across the board that's fighting some of your other models. And suddenly that model can't get away, cannot be saved cannot heal and if anybody starts popping off heals around them because they're fighting they're eating points of damage so i think i think split across worlds has gained a new lisa on life here i think she's she's dove down a more interesting or at least a newly interesting line of play and um 
while while many might say she is she's also dead because of the loss of all the healing, I think she is actually pretty pretty reasonable within the new context of the meta. I think uh, one of the things to not glaze over with the change to Breach Burn is that I think it made it, it fit fit well with the idea of what she's what she kind of is doing. But it made it so that you couldn't just, or the change rather, makes it so that Maxine can't just launch herself into some very high value target, dumpster it, and then not really pay any price for that. You know, like you could, your opponent could go through as long as they don't have a lantern or something and ignore demise. You go in, fire off a ton of damage on a model, kill a, a key piece. And then with with uh, Revivify and Breach Burn, it just takes one activation for Maxine to get herself back up to full between calculate the possibilities and the rest of her uh, the rest mm-hmm. of her actions. So she was very she was a very low risk heat seeking torpedo that you just got to get back. So I think the that's really where a lot of the big change for Breach Burn comes in is that. Maxine now needs to actually be a little more careful instead of just kind of flying into your opponent's crew with reckless abandon just to go for demise, waste your opponent's resources, and probably take this super asymmetrical trade where they're taking you're taking the thing that she goes into right away and you're taking the beater that comes in to kill her because it costs you nothing but your demise. Yeah, I agree. And honestly, I think I think it also like just overall on the keyword what this change does is I think it emphasizes you wanting to bring more of the amazing heals that the crew has already. So it, it makes you want to start bringing some models that previously you may not have wanted to. And overall, like I think it, it, it makes it so she can't be as aggressive with her non-her models, if that makes sense. You can still, to a degree, be aggressive with her because you can still take advantage of Revivify, but now you can't just launch her in with Harada and just expect Harada to be able to tank all of existence and every damage card thrown at him. Like, he's now reasonably killable as he is on his card. Um, I think this extended the the survivability of her keyword in a way that was, I mean, as Aradas would say, you know, it's, it's a bit over the top. Um, I think I think the change to the melee was mainly like an MPE sort of deal more than it actually being too good. But I think Breach Burn itself getting adjusted, um, it was just, I think, if, if anything, it's for the health of the keyword as a whole. Well, and it allows you to engage in risk management a little bit more mm-hmm. because, you know, as I had said with uh, in regards to Breach Burn, you really didn't have a whole lot of risk to mitigate. You just got to throw in and take possibly two pieces from your opponent at no cost to you. But now, like yep. you had said, you have to spend more soul stones in investment for protection on Maxine and not just fling her up with reckless abandon and saying that I don't need to engage in risk management because there's this very forgiving ability in Breach Burn that means even if I overcommit my model in the wrong place, I don't suffer anything for it. Basically. And also one other change um, outside of her keyword that this actually helps stifle but not kill is the second master option of bringing Yedza 2. Um, with Yedza 2 and this ability previously, every basically so long as Yedza was in the area, every single heal you'd pop off with this also converted into a shielded. Um, so it was like I'm healing 2, and then once I hit max health, I'm like going to stack a little bit of shielded on top. So 
it, it kind of got silly where like you're like, oh my, I got a person that's down five health, and you know you you get off this crazy calculate, you know, and you you flip like six tomes. It's like okay, well I'm I'm at max health and I have six shielded, and <laughs> it's just kind of kind of a, a silly situation to have happen. Yeah. So it sounds like everything was uh, good for the health of the health of the game and that keyword then. Yeah, honestly, I I dropped this I dropped this card like right after the Errata. and because like she's kind of like my babe in in Explorers, and she's like one of the one of the keywords I actually have back from my painter. They're gorgeous, and so I had to drop this onto the table. And honestly, she still felt great. Like I still enjoyed playing her, and I love the keyword, and it it's still just an absolutely rock solid keyword. So I have no issues here. Hoffman got a lot of changes. Yes, and so all of them. Put I'm together. very, I'm very inexperienced with Hoffman. My my first game against Hoffman was this past weekend. So, y'all can okay. kind of cover what's going on with him. Okay. Um. I I have faced Hoffman several times, and all the changes are for the good. But I'm sure there's some people who would disagree with me. So basically, uh, his construction claw used to be you place the targets after speeding in the duel uh, two inches from him, and now it's one inch from its current position. That does make me a little sad because I never did get the chance to have Candy eat Hoffman across the board with his own construction cloth. That makes me a little sad, but uh, I'll, I'll live with that. Uh, his alternating current, which his, uh, his death laser, uh, now has a gun on it, so you can uh, engage him, and he can't use it. Granted, he can always bulldoze away from you, but now he's using an AP to get away from you and not just hitting you three times with his gun. So also another thing uh, that's good is now he's a maximum three irreducible instead of four. So puts him in line with a lot of the other uh, irreducible damage dealers that were not on a flip that were just straight damage like uh, uh, OG Molly that I think uh, Zach may be familiar with that model. He may have played her once or twice. Well, alternating hundreds. <laughs> alternating current prior to the errata was just an extremely extremely sure way of being able to delete something with no interaction from your opponent trying exactly. to break through irreducible damage and then not being able to engage them to shut it off or not being able to claim some of the benefits from friendly fire made it so that uh hoffman was a right click delete type of model and i i think that uh may there's I don't feel like alternating current got hit too much. Like there's a lot of changes to it, but it means that the rest of Hoffman's crew actually needs to get to work and Hoffman just can't automatic de automatically delete a problematic target by doing a ton of irreducible damage to it. Um, the, the, the feeling of him having to spread his damage out if he wants to start taking a bunch of alternating current attacks from the, from the back lines makes him feel like he's a much more uh, mitigatable damage dealer instead of just having this this thing where your opponent just says i'm going to kill this model and there's nothing you can do about it yep and also too with it having a gun not only can he be engaged but if you have cover now you're a plus one to your stat which most of the time he's still probably going to hit you but at least now it's a little bit harder yeah i mean you can get cover off of his off of his pylons can't you exactly so exactly so like there you go uh, the, speaking of his pylons, uh, they changed it in his arc nodes ability. 
that now you can only get one power token from either a pylon or from power converter. So you can't double up on the uh, power tokens. So be, he'll have to use, and his crew will have to use that resource a little bit more uh, judiciously. Then they can't just uh, sling power tokens all over the place. And um, also now they don't get shielded. So now all those Armor 2 models won't start their activation with uh, Armor 2 and shielded. So, you know, makes that uh, that tanky crew a little bit less tanky, but still quite survivable. So um, Hallelujah. We will, we'll have a... Well, you won't have to worry about taking off the shielded, which helps now with the people who do ping damage. They want to ping away a shielded first before they can start pinging away their health. So, I mean, all in all, I think uh, some good changes. Other thing is the security defense, I think, went down a stat from uh, five, a 6 to a 5. But he still, he, he'll still do what he did before. It just will take a little bit more effort to do it. Um, I mean, I still think, I mean... I've played against it a lot. Uh, I still think it's going to be doable. It makes also, too, where he can have uh, one less pylon. He can spread it out a little bit farther because now he only needs two pylons to hit his max damage. For irreducible, he won't need the three. Uh, it is what it is. I, I, I'm still a really good master. Still does irreducible damage. And that won't be that will be hard to resist. It's also worth mentioning that the change to power spike is pretty decent as well, where you can't just kind of stab his own dude in the back to echo out a bunch of power tokens. Um, yep. Or not stab him, but shoot him. Uh, I the, the battle report that I'm currently editing right now is uh, a Ulix 1 matchup that's up against uh, the errata version of Hoffman 2. And uh, without giving away anything in that game, Hoffman still feels like a really powerful master. He isn't just... He, he doesn't just solve his problem anymore, right? He has to actually utilize the rest of his crew to do some work because if your opponent hears that you're bringing augment, augmented, they're going to be looking for some armor-piercing or irreducible models. And with alternating current plus power converter and the arc nodes, it was really easy for Hoffman to single out the things that were taken to try and stifle his game plan and get them off the table and then make it so your opponent really can't answer all of the ton the ton of amounts of shielded and power token efficiency that they're able to get in addition to that um that death laser of alternating current but uh, he still can whittle things down to then lean on the rest of his crew to do work so i think that uh overall if you're a person who got into Hoffman because of the nightmare box and are a little salty about the change i think it just is worth mentioning that you just need to pay a little bit more attention to the rest of the models in your uh, in your crew and not just lean on Hoffman as the answer for every problem you happen to come up against. And, uh, I mean, I've, I've mostly played five, six games against uh, this version of Hoffman. I've never seen anyone use this construction claw. So maybe actually you will see people using that construction claw because that electroshock trigger is still really good. What do we got next? Um, Lady Justice. Well, I, yeah, I just Me. played uh, a Canadian guy who I met through the, the Winter Vassal League now, and uh, he beat my broodmother, who's kind of my favorite crew with Lady Justice too. Uh, so I'm a little salty, but um, honestly, I think she was maybe a little too good in a few areas. I don't know if you guys have played her a ton. Only, only one time, honestly. So, <clears throat> I'm not an expert on her, but she used to have an ability where she just ignored ignored line of sight on everything, so now she only ignores that on 
or basically she can just hit buried and just mm -hmm. ignore everything. It's probably reasonable. Her equilibrium shockwave uh, used to be a normal action, and it had a trigger where you could take the Ashwood comp again, so you could bury two people using her size 3 Ashwood, which is very hard to cheat against during you. Now it just has a surge trigger, which is still pretty good. And now Ashwood is the... With a trigger to let you try it again if you miss. Yeah. So yeah, uh, I think she's still going to wreck me just as hard as she did before. Um, <laughs> and now she can ignore Coffin Marker, or Friendly Marshals can ignore Mark Coffins for Line of Sight. So that was something I did see a bit, was where I would just hide behind the Coffins and then wouldn't get shot. <laughs> Yeah, uh, with a lot of these changes, I think they have done a pretty, some pretty cool things with changing the really negative things, but also giving almost like a little buff to kind of try and out some of that power loss. Honestly, I think that was really good this year. <laughs> it's always good. I mean, Entropic Debt still ignores Line of Sight too, so you can still use it to like pop those little those little support pieces standing behind walls that are just yeah. pesky little little brats. So like, yeah. admittedly, I don't have a whole bunch of experience against her, but like sitting here skimming over the card, like it's a bunch of stuff I think looks good, honestly. Like mm -hmm. I don't, if if this were to have been the original version, I don't think anybody would have complained. Yeah. I mean, I've only played against it once or twice myself. I, the biggest thing that I didn't like in the first version was the ability to do Ashwood Coffin twice in one activation, and now they've taken that out. Yeah. So I think that was feels bad on that one. Um, I do like uh, the one thing on their burial rights that they made that you can use that as your free action. So, uh, like, say for turn one, you could, uh, and you're if you are not planning on getting Lady J close to use her shockwave, you can use the burial rights for her free action to still pulse out that focus and still have three AP to do whatever it is. Um, I mean, you could still see her. I mean, if you wanted to, I don't see why, but it is possible you could burial rights four times in one turn. Take it as your free action and use it three times. Oh, no, I'm sorry. No, you can't do it. It's once per turn. My bad. <laughs> I guess, you know, reading hard. But still, be able to pass out focus to all friendly marshals within one-inch pulse of a coffin marker is really good on a free action. Um, so, that's a massive pulse. Yeah. It's off of a 50 mil. That's a huge pulse for, for, for pulsing out focus. Yep. Like, and, as a Rezzer that player, like, uh, that is very much on brand for what we like. So, being that she is, like, the Rezzer hunter, just hitting us with her own tactics, it's pretty mean. Yep. That's like so, a four-and-a-half-inch bubble or four-inch bubble. Yes. Yeah. It's huge. So, I, I I mean, she, I think she got touched the most on her card of any uh, master. So, it's going to be some changes. Some were little. I think... Biggest one that I think I don't understand why they did it, it was the regen. Um, maybe be, maybe because everyone put armor on her, put the lead lined coat. Yeah, lead lined coat. Lead. Yeah, Brian. Lead lined coat plus hard to wound made it so that her regeneration was really keeping her topped off, and you'd have to put a lot of effort. Not that it doesn't. You shouldn't have to put minimal effort into getting rid of a master but she was just so survivable and with all of the other things that she had stacked up with her 
having the ability to just really go in there and not uh, really worry about what's going to happen to you was uh, quite difficult for you to get around with her. So that regeneration ability did so much to keep her alive in addition to Leadline Coat with Hard to Wound on top of it. Yep. So, I mean, she does have a decent amount of healing in her keyword. So maybe the regen won't be missed so much, but, you know, who am I to say? I, I, like I said, I've only played against this master once or twice. So, um, I mean, she's but, only got a bonus to heal too. So, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, okay. so it'll be interesting. Uh, I think this this master is the also the one I've seen on the discords and such that people have been uh, uh, delivering a lot of salt about. But we'll see. I mean, uh, I think just need to see, let it play out. I think a lot of the things that affect Lady Justice death touched in terms of people's reaction is that it does look like she had most the she had the lion's share of changes. Like even when we think about like uh, Nexus, one of many kind of getting a complete rework, Lady Justice death touched her her changes span almost an entire column worth of text on the page. And uh, I believe that her release was not all too long ago like it was very recent that her box became available for people to get and i know some people uh might not be big into the proxy world where they were just playing lady one or lady j1 as lady j2 so they're like okay i got my model finally and i'm absorbed into what it does and this looks really cool and i'm super excited and oh crap now i gotta redo the whole thing and i think yeah. that's where a lot of the um a lot of the visceral reaction comes from in terms of lady justice death touched like people some people were just getting their getting her in their hands before they got a chance to utilize her, and uh, that I think that that kind of rubs people the wrong way sometimes. But again, it's for the overall health of the game and the health of your meta by not having such a a, a ridiculously powerful master running around. Yep. Yeah. And there's one more thing that is pretty big that I want to mention. So for her marshal's coffin, um, it allows. Her crew to take the pine box action, but drop a pine box or drop a coffin instead, so getting extra range and stuff. They used to be able to take a damage to be able to do it. Now they have to discard a card to do it. Um, so it's an interesting side grade. It's definitely more limiting as far as resources, because you could just ping all of your models and the whole crew and everyone do it. Um, now you have to pay a card, but you still have the guild mage. So I mean, I don't honestly. It seems like you're going to be healing. Just as much, if not more, with this. <laughs> yeah, there is also kind of makes it a null point. There is also a kind of a side buff, uh, or a sideways change or nerf. Or, I think it's a side buff, is what I'll just call it. With being able to discard cards, like uh, so many times when I'm playing against Lady Justice, I really try to lean into hand management to stop them from rebalancing their hand based on what I have in mind with the scales of justice. So allowing the Justice player to discard cards to try and take advantage of that balancing scales on your totem feels like it's something that you could actually take a lot of advantage of by using some of those junky cards in your hand to make coffin markers and uh, or doing pine boxes and uh, or I'm sorry, yeah, making making coffin markers by discarding to allow your opponent or to stop your opponent from disallowing you to uh, activate that ability on the on the scales. I mean, yeah, you would get to what allows you to use the scales more effectively, but again, I'm not too familiar with the martial keyword, uh, but I don't think there's really any card draw other than the scales. So if if you are looking to pine box a lot to and get that coffin out, 
it could restrict how often you could do it by the cards in your hand or maybe you have a really good hand and you don't want to discard that 9 or 10 or 11 or whatever the case may be to put out a coffin marker. So, you know, uh, the, I guess the only, uh, and again, this burial rites, the only way they can get out a coffin marker other than using her, her uh, discard to get them out. Oh, I mean, she has her Ashwood Coffin, too. So you could get Barrel Rights and Ashwood Coffin can get you two Coffin Markers. But then I think everything else has to discard. So, And again, that's more situational on, you know, your hand, how much you want to do it, and stuff like that. But it could it could be an issue. But I guess, that will, again, we'll have to wait and see people play it, see if that uh, becomes an issue. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. Also an interesting, an interesting idea there, Brian, I think. People will definitely try that out. Uh, and part two, I guess, for her is 33, which also affects her too pretty tall. <laughs> um, yeah, the loss of Pine Box is kind of, it, it, it's kind of killed the whole kidnap strategy that, that Terra 2 had going on there. Um, not that I'm horribly upset to see that go. Playing against it was a pain in the ass. Um, with that said, I still think this is a good model. Like, I don't really know what else to say about it other than I still think it's a good model overall. And yeah. no, it's not a hoax. <laughs> I mean, yeah. now they you'll probably, and again, we'll have to wait and see, but leaning in more towards using his Peace Bringer and going for that hole-in-the-world trigger, I heard that's a pretty good trigger. Yeah, it's pretty pretty great. Yeah, it's pretty good. Um, and also they did the thing on his year in a minute that uh, now you can't basically keep the Black Joker in your discard pile for the whole game. That's good. Yes. Makes that sense. very good. <laughs> yep. But, yeah, I mean, I think that kind of touches on him. So people have to come up with new and interesting ways to use 33 other than the crutch way. Well, I, I'm going to just tell a brief story about 3. So in my <laughs> game against SCV... Uh, this is a very shameful story, so you guys will. Um, I use the Noxious Nephilim, and my my dream with the Noxious Nephilim is to do a little combo with Hayridden. So I used Bring It on 33, thinking surely 33 will punch me in the face and make me bleed. Uh, but no, he had Pinebox, um, and he buried the Noxious, and he never unburied. So I kind of uh, maybe lost the game uh, doing what I wanted to do. You did it to yourself? Yeah. It's just a fun <laughs> aside. <laughs> but yeah, I think uh I think he's still a very interesting model who will see play. I don't have to say about him. <laughs> well hopefully we see him. Since the box just came out, we can actually see the model on the table. Yeah, yeah she's re she's really cool. So I just dealt with this monster yesterday. <laughs> hey, it wasn't a monster. I only summon one model the whole game. Yeah. Uh, that's that's not a whole lot, honestly. No. That was a pretty weird game. I've never seen Karate. Well, it was <laughs> it was a flank deployment, and there was a lot of spreading out, so that makes it infinitely harder for her to summon models. Sure. That and his, his wide boys were uh, killing my models quite quickly after turn one. Yeah, Euripides, uh, Euripides 1 is still plenty good by what you might hear. Almost killed Karai. Almost. 
<laughs> but uh, let's see. So changes on her. Uh, again, I think these were definitely some necessary changes. So the big one is she can't board wide summon. Uh, she has to summon her models same way as before. You have them move through a model that's past a willpower duel, which went changed from a 13 to a 12 PN. And if they fail, then you get to summon a model of cost four or less. But now it has to be within eight inches of her instead of board wide. Um, I think early on, too, people were making a mistake that they were doing that board wide and weren't doing it where Karai could see them, which uh, I think early on in three, or early on when she came out, I think people were making that mistake. But um, now now that's not a thing you have to worry about. It's within eight inches. Um, also, too, uh, to get the dual off, it has to be a model of cost five or higher. So that, again, was an issue early on is you would summon models, and then those models that you summoned, especially with the uh, enslaved spirit with his uh, chain gang, would move through other models and make them and summon off them, and it would just be a cascading effect of all these models getting summoned in, and then they are getting moved through other models and getting summoned in and stuff like that. So uh, that won't be, I think, an issue. So that's the that's the huge one. Uh, Couple well, yeah, other the summons things. would just go walk through stuff, and they wouldn't even have to try and hit things. Go walk nope. around. <laughs> yep, they they would just yeah. Most people wouldn't attack. They just yep yeah, walk through yeah. Uh, other thing is on our sundering, uh, you used to be able to do plus one damage for every Urami minion engaging the target with no cap, and now it's capped at a maximum of plus two. So the worst it can get is a be a three four five damage track. It's still good, say, but. Hit, hit. Hitting min four was really easy with that before. Yes, yes, it was. Um, and then um, another one is now you summon back Kirio before you needed an eight, and now you need an eight of crows, which, again, did not be too much of an issue, especially with the Whisper and all that fun stuff that you always see uh, stapled to Rezor Masters. But uh, I think definitely something that needed to be done and to uh, make her a little bit less oppressive, uh, I think her play style will be just fine. I think it does also make it a little bit more viable for you to bring Cry 1 uh, to get a more, I guess, stable summoning platform, whereas this one could be a little bit iffy. Um, might be a little bit better in strategies and or schemes where there can be a little bit more clumping. But... Uh, yeah, still, still, I think is definitely a master's. I think now she's a little bit less of an always take and more of a scheme and strategy dependence. I think one of the best things that you touched on there was the uh, the if you want to say the elegance of the change with with Kirai too is that um, in the Malifaux Burns world, Weirds kind of presented us with this uh, this situation of being able to take a comparative look at the two different versions of the masters. And when you had Kirai before this errata update, it was very difficult to say that she wasn't just the better version to take because she just did so much. But now with her being pulled back a little bit to be a little bit more focused on what it is that she's supposed to do and not be so over the top with uh, the summoning and damage, um, it means that you can actually look at both of those masters and have an actual choice between the two of them instead of just always defaulting over to the second version. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, swirling, I still swirling spirits is just so good 
especially with a whisper, when you can stack your if you're going to swirl spirits three times, you can stack you can stack exactly what you're going to need to move the models around you. It is so card efficient that it's I feel a little dirty. Not that I'm going to stop playing her because of that, but it feels a little dirty. And I feel like we'd be remiss to to neglect to mention that ghostly presence didn't change. Like you can still treat crows as anything in addition to crow. So like what? that, that in of itself is just an amazing ability that, that just unlocks so much for a lot of, even like your cheaper models, you know, just locking into a crow suddenly means you're, you're getting your, your onslaught triggers and, and various other triggers that you need for just really kind of make some of those cheaper models really shine. And, and at least for me and the way I played her, I, cause when you could summon board wide, I would try to put her in an advantageous position where I could see a lot of the board and then just let my stuff kind of do its thing and do my swirling spirits when I needed to. I think now ghostly presence, at least for myself is going to be a little bit more of a, something I'm going to try for. Now that I have to summon within eight inches of her, which is exactly the same range as the ghostly presence, I think for myself mm-hmm. that will be something that I'll be using more. Um, yeah, honestly, than I, did I, in feel the like past. Ghost, I feel like ghostly presence has become, in a way, more of the point of the front of her card than anything else. Um, yep. Because that unlocks so much of the of, of the keyword, and frankly, the fact the fact that now now we can really talk about how great it is is just sort of a testament to how over the top a lot of the other things were that such an absolutely just fucking nasty ability like that was so overlooked was because of how clearly over the top some of the other yeah. things were. I mean, I've got, I've got a, a story on how bad it can be. So I apologize in the future, Cole, that I'll be telling the story, but uh, <laughs> I had made, I made a curio fast and I was playing Cole and he's playing Hoffman too. And he, uh, he missled Hoffman too into my crew, and I had a fast curio in one activation kill Hoffman too because I was within my ghostly presence. So and well, also Hoffman had adversary. So I'm swinging with stat six on pluses, and I had a whole bunch of nice crows in my hand, which then I turned into masks. So three attacks, which turned into six attacks, uh, and I ignore his armor. So yeah, one activation I killed Hoffman too. So. It was nice. Will it ever happen again? Probably not, but it felt good at the time. Hoffman deserved it. Yes, he does. <laughs> and yeah, like like I've played a, I've played a number of games with Kira in the past, and the number of times like I've just like oh I summoned a Gaki, and then my Gaki swings four times just because that exists. Just incidentally, it's like oh okay that's cool. You know I got these these stupid little Gaki murdering stuff that they have no business touching. Um, it was kind of great. Yeah, it is. It's real nice. Well, speaking as a Neverborn player, this master was something that was very much a problem for Neverborn. We don't have a ton of AOE, so it almost felt to the point where if I didn't pick Euripides, because he has so many shockwaves, that I would just lose into Resurism because of this possibility. So now I feel like more of my crews have play into it, at least. Uh, so that's good for me. <laughs> Yeah, this is definitely a master I intend on revisiting now that it's changed. Because, it, like, frankly, beforehand, like, I saw the power, I saw what it was capable of, and I something about it just didn't click with me, and therefore I didn't find it super enjoyable. 
but now I think there, there's a, there's there's less, I guess, guilt in running this master now than previously. And I feel like some of the changes made now present me with more interesting and complex questions that I need to answer within my my uh, my stream of play and my choices that I need to make that I think she's going to be something that I'm going to enjoy playing more now. And I think my opponent will will be more, I guess, happy to play into than they previously had been. Yeah. So you're saying is you won't get that pregame groan. I mean, I get that by default. Yeah, so. yeah, you're great at <laughs> playing the game. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I guess then that way segue into Jan Lowe. Think so, yeah. That's not Jan Lowe. There, there he is. Go. I think he's probably the, second. We look at this. Yeah, first? he's he's kind of second in line, I think, in terms of like the number of things that he had touched. Yeah, between um, his reliquary and his card, he. He, he got uh, touched, some would say bad touched. Yeah, there, there's a lot going on here. Um, so going with, with the upgrade, um, I think I'll start with the the good news first. Um, you can put this on the Soul Porter now. That's really cool. That should have been there from the beginning, in my opinion. It only makes sense. Um, restricting your crew building in the manner that he had previously um kind of feels crappy you're like oh, i can't play this version of this master unless i bring a minion of the crew like i'm 100 percent required to do so otherwise i have a move to master um that that feels bad so now that you can put it on the soul porter you have an option no matter what so if you decide you don't want to bring a komainu or a gokudo or whatever um you don't have to i would still recommend it at least one but it is what it is um and that's where the good news kind of ends here. <laughs> um well, so they added still on there. Well yes, and I think that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um however, heavy burden, so this model ignores its empty vessel ability, if any. That's a huge deal. That's a massive deal. So that means you're you're not move seven anymore. Um you don't get infinite plus flips. Like that's just a a big old freaking deal. Um the second thing is on release the soul. Um, you can't just pass the upgrade off to your closest living minion anymore. Um, it has to be within a of Yanlo, which means you're forced to kind of maintain a soft bubble around him. Otherwise, he's in a place that he's gonna he's gonna be kind of he's gonna be at risk. Otherwise, um, so you, you have to you have to manage your spacing a lot more carefully. Because of that, because you can't just have a situation where you run him off with the dog in one way. Dog dies, he gets beat up, and then, like, it passed off to your your other minion that's clear on the other side of the table, standing next to, you know, Sun Quang, and, you know, they activate, and he teleports across the board to safety and gets healed up to, you know, max again. That's not a thing you can do anymore. Um do I like this change? I, I I feel like it stifles his movement quite a bit, honestly, which, frankly, a lot of things have stifled his movement between Heavy Burden and some other things that we're going to get to once we get back to his card. Um, so I don't know if it's it's a little I, – I feel a little antithesis, antithesis to, like, the concept of how quick he's supposed to be, but I also recognize that when you have a master – 
that doesn't need to spend AP moving and gets to spend all his AP on the action, there, there, there needs to be some concessions made somewhere. So that's the upgrade, basically. So was the A New Guardian part still on there before? Yeah, uh, A New that's Guardian's on. on. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's on every single Reliquary upgrade. Though honestly, yeah, 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 it was yeah, it was there because there were there were some little combo tricks you could do where you pass it back and forth between Minu and try and like maximize the amount the amount of uh, hits you'd get. Okay, well yeah, let's get to the the meat. Oh boy, a whole card. So yeah, um, his defense went down. Um, Ancient Anchor lets you put it on on the on the minion now. I mean the totem now. Um, you place within one inch of him and you only move after a movement caused by a general action. So walks and charges. Um, this again, stifles the movement quite considerably so that his bonus action doesn't let you get any moves. This also makes it so take the hit doesn't let you just dodge out of danger. Um, when somebody rolls in on you, which is an incredibly frustrating thing to deal with. I'm sure. Um, also honestly, does him pl- just- Keeps you within blast range, too. That was literally the next point I was going to make is, yeah, being within one inch when you place, you're good. Um, Being within one inch sets you up so you can actually be blasted. So there's actual counterplay into his positioning. And, I mean, it's all probably for the... Still incorporeal. um, Lingering voices still, you know, you can set it up for building your your mask for targeting. Yeah. However, you do not gain the the tome anymore, so you don't get free focus anymore. Um, so, so with that, at like in terms of like overall loss on like the dogs. Yeah. So yeah. So no more uh, obeying the dogs, and they get that focus before the attack built in. Um, big one, I think, too, is his gun. They took away the hole in the world trigger, which I'm glad of. The they did add the knock aside, so a good a good uh, trigger, but obviously nowhere near where hole in the world was. Um, it is four inch push. I don't think it's that much on other knock aside triggers. Maybe I'm wrong on that. Going off the off of memory, still a great attack. Two three four ignores armor and corporal, and uh, yeah, if you, can, you can choose your resist. So. Still a great that attack, attack is still his bread bunder, in my opinion. I oh, absolutely yeah. love Twist Reality. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's still a good attack. Not as good as before, but I mean, still, it's still, it's still money, especially when you come across all the crews with armor and stuff like that. They have to respect mm-hmm. that gun. I don't know where I cut out, but the main point I was getting to was you don't get movement seven, you don't get infinite plus flips, and you don't get infinite focus anymore, which are all things I think everybody can agree is probably for the better. Yes, yeah. I mean, does it cut down on his movement? Obviously it does. Uh, but especially with the changes, uh, with the upgrade where they have to be within eight, maybe a mm-hmm. kind of uh, low-key good thing that takes away a little bit of the temptation of moving him way upfield and getting out of range of that and then finding yourself in trouble. So, oh darn, he only gets to the middle of the board instead of your deployment, your enemy's deployment zone before he gets to activate. And with that said, like there, there is some neat things that they did here, um, like spirit guide where you where you basically get to toss around the the upgrades and draw cards. That could be neat. 
Um, them building in Guard Reliquary on Final Wishes, that's good. That's a bit of consistency I appreciate. And then Choose a Path, in my opinion, is just a unequivocally better bonus action than what he had previously. Yeah, and actually, I, uh, when I first saw it, I misread it. I thought it said remove the marker, and I'm like, well, that's not going to come up that much, but it's remove any marker. So yes. that is that is money, um, especially mm-hmm. for the resers who have little to no marker removal. Granted, mm-hmm. it's only on a pre-action, but at least it's something. I mean, it's better than what he had before, which was, hey, I end my activation, I remove two, two, two any markers and draw two cards. Yep. Um. He like beforehand. He, he the fact that it was just for free seemed to be like an issue. Here, it's a, it's a bonus action. You actually have to make a flip for it, but you still kind of get a mixture of the effects that have been lost. And I, I like the fact that you have that choice and there's an option there. Again, going back to things I've noticed, I've mentioned previously, means you're you're forced to make decisions. And that matters because when, like previously with a lot of these things, you just got stuff for free just because, and that's where I feel a lot of power can kind of creep in on these. So when you're forced to actually make decisions rather than things happening by default, I think it's better. So this is where my uh, relatively re- new re-entry in the game is going to show a little bit. But as a point of clarification, when uh, when a ability says remove a marker. Will that include strategy markers? No, you cannot target strategy markers with actions unless okay. specified within a strategy. All right. I've had a hard time kind of hunting that down, so I appreciate the clarification there. Of course. Yeah, yeah that's like the only exception, really. Yeah. Okay. Otherwise, yeah. I mean, I don't think anybody's going to... I, actually, I think even, even amongst the, the Discord chats that I've skimmed, this is one of those ones that even amongst people that played him... They're not really crying tears of vengeance and anger because I think everybody just sort of understood that this was going to happen and that it probably wasn't going to be as light as we would like. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. I mean, he kind of deserved it, all things considered, even though, like, I, I mean, I love my boy Yanlo. I've played him plenty and, and such, and I still intend on playing him. Um, he's just, he's not the end-all, be-all I do all the things, screw you, I win, master that he was previously. He uh, he requires some actual decision-making because he doesn't, he's not just an immortal beast that swings with all the cards and all the focused and you die. Um, yeah, he's, he's in a place where you actually have to play the game. So that's probably for the best. And if you still want an unkillable god on low, just play the first. Yeah. <laughs> Sure. <laughs> well, topic for another. <laughs> yeah. Uh, May Fang is another one. I don't know jack about May Fang. Got a light touch. Basically, it added an aura to her heated iron. So now she needs line of sight for you to take damage when they drop scrap markers into base contact with you. Uh, I think uh, her lay track. Uh, as the stat was increased by one and the TN was increased by two. So, and then, uh, <clears throat> and her, the TN to, re- to uh, resist her lay tracks uh, was reduced. So, 
Not uh, not a whole lot of changes. I think the biggest one is now it takes three scrap markers for her to bring in a metal gammon as opposed to two. But uh, there's her crew has lots of ways to get scrap, so it won't be that big of an issue. Um, but yeah, a, a light touch, not a whole lot to talk about. I think a lot of people are sleeping on Mayfang. And I think some. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I think part of that is because her box came out so late um, with the Rock Hopper, which is an integral model to her crew in May, uh, for Mayfang Forum. But uh, yeah, I think, I think with some of these uh, masters getting touched and not being top tier anymore, and I say that with all the sarcasm in the world, I think you wouldn't be surprised if you see some people pick up Mayfang Forum and it uh, will make her shine. I think a lot of the things that changed with Mayfeng 2 were not completely in response to, but I think in due, in part due to the ridiculous synergy she has with Hoffman 2. Um, being able to drop tons of scrap markers and just be able to, and able to like echo out a ton of power tokens for relatively low cost between uh, lay track having such a low TN or a low, uh, a, a high stat and low TN, right, Brian? You're reading right, yeah. Yes. This so, um, and then the the aura with heated iron needing line of sight now means that she couldn't just hide behind a bunch of stuff like maybe a, a pylon or something, and then in addition with uh, terrain and just be able to drop out all these markers, do extra damage on top of what Hoffman's doing, and then being able to get like just proliferate tons of scrap. She was like she's 15 points to turn Hoffman's crew up to 11, actually probably up to 12 pre errata. So. I think now it's no longer like Mayfeng 2 is the auto-take with Hoffman anymore. Um, I think that they just had to balance her out a little bit in this dual master world that she was kind of really, she was a, de a, a core contributor to the difficult times people would experience with Hoffman 2. Yeah, and, and part of that is also with Sparks could uh, obey Hoffman to shoot his uh, death laser again, which they uh, also touched on that a little bit in another part of the Rada that uh, basically now everything that says non-leader also means non-master. So uh, you would now, even if they didn't change any of that, Sparks can't obey Hoffman to shoot his death laser anymore. Hallelujah. Yeah. But, I yeah. think that's been suggested before on podcast. It's a pretty reasonable and simple way to affect that across. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, and also uh, I think that probably might have been a part of the reason why Hoffman got the errata where you can only get a power token from power converter or his pylons, not both at the same time, where Mayfang's dropping strap uh, markers all over the table like candy. Like he said, turning him up to 12 uh, with all the power tokens they could get from that uh, is definitely something. So you won't see that dynamic duo quite as much. Okay. I'll say I think we could probably leave the Bayou for the other I mean, I, I I can quickly touch on, on Moonshiner at the very least. Um, well, mainly, is, is Bayou even a faction? Hey, don't be mean to Tracy. Um, <laughs> so the the main thing with, with, with Brewmaster, I mean, there, there's quite a bit more here that I'm going to mention, but the main thing that I'm going to bring up um, is Tipsy Slide was changed from end phase to start phase. This is a huge deal. Um mainly because Tipsy Slide allowed you to basically just, during the end phase before scoring happened, you just got to shift models around 
And it could, if you played it correctly, just in this GG specifically go, okay, you don't get to score this game because I'm, I'm just spamming the board with poison and you need to be in certain places to score, but I can just make you, I can just make you not, you know, um, it was incredibly powerful, but now, now a lot of those movements happens during the start phase instead. So people actually have the ability to score their points, you know, instead of just not, and it's just like, Oh, you you want to guard that stash? You're not there anymore. Oh, you want me to be sitting here next to these scheme markers? I'm not anymore. It was just a thing that 100% happened. Um, I can't really get into the rest of the stuff all that much. I've only played against this a few times, but that was like the, the big bit on this card that, uh, I knew I personally hated probably the most, and I know it was probably a big deal for a lot of people to have this changed. So yeah, yeah, I agree. That's that's probably the biggest one. There is uh, you can actually score your points against uh, Moonshiner. Yeah, it was it was absolutely ridiculous prior to this. And then uh, Ophelia got uh, touched a little bit too. So again, I'm not real familiar on her, but uh, um, I think biggest one is the. Uh, the give, give me that back. No longer hands out focus. I know yep. Ophelia was, you know, handing out focus like candy. So now not so much. The other ones I don't see as being a big change. I never really saw a lot of people taking uh, a lot of out of keyword with her. Granted, maybe a little bit more now since uh, the last errata uh, touched some of her models, but. Um, the ability to only be able to hand stuff out to kid models, you know, may affect uh, the hiring on that. So, yeah, we'll we'll have to at some point get somebody who knows what they're talking about with with Bayou to come on here and explain to us why we're why we're idiots and why this is the end of the world. Um, but Bayou is far from my forte unless your name is Bo Fishbacher. <laughs> I've only just I recently why that absorbed Ulix, so uh, Ophelia is on my list of things to get to, but not enough to know if like the kin upgrade is solely because of Dual Masters, because I don't think in Ophelia 1, uh, she only attaches upgrades to herself, if I'm not mistaken, although her kin yeah. model might allow that. But this would be the first time then that she would uh, allow her upgrades to go on uh, other Masters. Yeah. So yeah, maybe that was a thing. I, I've never really seen Ophelia uh, because, run with another master. It's because all of her kin models are the ones that specify they attach the upgrade to themselves. So I don't. There might be some interesting interplay where a non-kin model getting an arsenal upgrade just turns it up to a million. Maybe. Otherwise, I think a whole lot of it was just spamming focus and blowing things off the table. Yeah, yeah. There was a lot of that. It was especially vicious with uh. Uh, what's the old lady in kin? Montucket. Um, no, the uh, the one that's also Whizbang. Oh, Marie or Marie or oh, why can't I think of her stupid name? Yeah, Maris. I, oh, Sammy. Maris. Sammy. Oh, no, oh Maris. Sammy's. Sammy's Where, the, our in, our he, ignorance kin is showing whiz-bang? right now. Sammy's the uh, Whizbang henchman. That's kin's kin also. Yeah, so I I would see a lot. Of, they would put the. Uh, the upgrade on her that shoots 18 inches and make her fast and then just blast the crap out of people from 18 inches away three times. But, uh, yeah, so I think that's all the models. Um, we want to kind of maybe fast go through some of the what we think are the highlights on the uh, 
other stuff in the Rada that don't have to do with uh, specifically the models? I know, yeah, uh, sure. Zach, I know you had uh, one near and dear to your heart if you wanted to go over it. Oh, yeah, so the relenting rules changed. Um, <laughs> basically, you can throw out a shockwave now and just have all your, your friendly models choose to fail it, and that is the greatest thing to have happened to Malfo 3rd Edition since sliced bread, as far as I'm concerned. Um, this is just absolutely monumental for so many crews. Um, I mean, Brewmaster's going to love it. Um, Ivan... You, you, you can finally, with Gibson, drop your mechanical firefly and just auto-fail it so everybody gets there distracted instead of sitting there and flipping cards, wasting time, and just, just having a slow, crappy experience for your first activation. Um, this sets Wong. up a, Yeah, OG Wong. It, it, it makes... It adds so much consistency in so many so many neat places. Um, another, another place that... Uh, I'm going to hold near and dear to my heart is uh, the Unseely engine. So his whole like rev the engine deal where he, he does his, his pulse out and everybody takes a duel or they take a damage. Um, because of this, you could just have a big old scrum with your black blood models and you can just have them all fail it and black blood all over everybody. And then he heals for every other model that, that takes damage this way. So then he can just heal and then pass the damage back and heal all his people back up, so it's f like a free splashing. I, I mean, just go back to the long-running joke. It's 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 Black Blood Bukaki. It's it's here and it's real. And yeah, yeah. stealing James's thunder. <laughs> it's 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 just that thing, and it's it's so easy to do there. And honestly, I'm incredibly excited about this change. I think it's great. It is. It just makes sense. Honestly, like well, when I read it, I just I I literally just kind of like cheered. <laughs> well, also too, uh, I mean, not only is it easier for those crews, but just how much time you save in having mm -hmm. to flip all the cards for everything, and then deciding yeah. what what ones they want to cheat, which ones they don't want to cheat. So not only is it great for the crews, but just it's a great time saver. And now you don't have to see all your good cards go down the drain as you're trying to fail duels, pass out glowy or poison or uh, or you know whatever that choice may be. So. Yeah, I, I agree. That it definitely will make things a lot easier for a lot of crews and save a lot of time in the game of not having to flip cards that you don't want to see. Yeah, it's it's a huge quality of life change, and it, and it streamlines part of the rules that I felt desperately needed it. It's great. I love this change. One hundred percent. Brian, did you have the, any the uh, anything in the uh, errata that you thought was a uh, uh, a key pullout or something that you particularly were glad to see? No, I think the the core rules I hadn't quite uh, gotten to in the errata update. Um, the uh, the thing that was interesting to me, at least when I had seen it on here, I'm not sure if this is a running errata update or if every single rule on here is is new because it does look like they did a lot. Then if it's all new, um, the the errata when they, for that section is all going to be new. If you go into the FAQ. They keep a running total on that, and they let the, you know which ones are new by having an asterisk by them. Okay, I must just be looking at the wrong document then. But no, nothing. I, I, I'm sure if I spent more time with it, I could pull something out. But right now, I don't see anything that jumps out to me because I'm just not looking in the right place. Um, I, I had uh, one kind of touches on what you did, Zach, where uh, models that are obeyed 
Now, if they need to make a resist, are controlled by the owner of the model, not the person obeying them. <laughs> so uh, that that can be a good thing. You can't make models auto fail things. Um, and I had never seen it as a thing before, and I had never heard about it. But uh, there was one on a Discord that I saw that was pretty uh, pretty uh, interesting, where people with Zareda would obey. Hinamatsu to charge in on something, and then they'd hit it, and then they would char. Then they would obey the model engaged by Hinamatsu to disengage. And since Hinamatsu has Wicked, she does damage when they try and get disengage. And they would do cheat the other ones down real low, so she'd be on a straight flip or plus flip. Or if it had armor, she you could cheat in a a low comb to get the armor piercing trigger. So that was yeah. interesting. I'd never seen that interaction before, but uh, that was interesting. So being able to uh, use your own uh, defense, you know, and that won't be controlled by your opponent. That's, I think, maybe a little bit less uh, interactive than the new Relent stuff. But I think uh, in the long run, you, you might see that uh, come up and uh, be definitely something that will be uh, affecting games. Yeah, honestly, I I never saw that interaction in person either, but it's for the best that it's not there. Yeah. Um, one other thing I wanted to bring up, just because um, I know a number of Anyo lovers in particular. Um, so they made a change in terrain, basically just saying any time a model's base is touching terrain, either overlapping or in base contact, that model is both in that terrain and considered within zero inches of that terrain. Um this specifically is meant for uh, impassable hazardous terrain. Um, basically, because like previously it was set up, and unfortunately it worked in such a manner where you technically you you could shove somebody into an impassable hazardous marker, and they would not take hazardous damage um, because they were not quote unquote in the terrain. Um, so now this ad addresses that. Um, I've seen a number of arguments online about about certain um, definitions about how 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 can you be in terrain without having gone through it, but you can't go through uh, impassable terrain. Um, arguments aside, it's whatever. As far as I'm understanding, basing off of the the mechanical definitions that are being written here, um, when you're in, if you're in base contact with something, you are considered to be in that thing. So you're, if you're in something, you're in base contact with it. And if you're going, if you're moving through something, your base has overlapped with the thing. Seems to be my understanding on this. But I mean, sing praises, ye Anya players. You can now shove people into your geode markers, and they take damage. Yeah, uh, doesn't also that uh, have um, geode markers with uh, Jedza as well, so that would be helpful yeah. for her as well. Yeah, they shared the model. Yeah, so uh, another one that I wanted to do a call out on was uh, now focus can be used on simple duels, not just opposed duels. Ooh. So if you really need to make that terrifying check, you can use your focus to get a plus flip on it. So that is, I think, well, something again. Or if you really want to pass that uh, Wong Shockwave because you have five Glowy on you, and if you fail, you're taking seven damage, you could use a Focus to pass it. So, uh, again, just giving you some options with the Focus, not just on a post tool. So that was another Sweet. one. Um, another 
Uh, one that I liked was uh, having line of sight to be able to see something when you drop it, which was a thing before, but now they kind of clarified that whatever you're bringing in, no matter what it is, it's considered size zero. So even if you're bringing in, like, let's say, an ice pill or something like that, you need to be able to see the spot as if it's height zero. So if, let's say, Euripides is bringing in an ice pillar and you're trying to drop it in the shadow of a size two wall, you can't do that. Or Rasputina can't drop it at all because she's size two, so she can't see past the wall. So I think that might be uh, something to look at if you're someone who likes to drop a lot of markers is uh, you do need to see the you, – you do need it to be able to see the spot it's dropping. And even if it is a height size four marker, but it's considered size zero for when you were, for where you were dropping it. I, yeah. I think as, the place where the, go ahead. As much of an abuse you could make that, I was definitely a person who utilized that with Euripides given that he's quite large. And I would, I just considered that the pillar would come down as it is, not that it would grow from zero. So uh, I was dropping them often in places that now I wouldn't be able to see. So I think that is a significant change that kind of limits the amount of uh, uh, shenanigans you can get up to with ice pillars. Yep. And again, is it something that's going to happen? You have to worry about every game? No, but uh, it's definitely something you have to take into consideration where you're putting your ice pillars or coffin markers or whatever the case may be. It is one of those things where, like, you're going to have to be particular about tossing things on the other side of size one walls. <laughs> um, yep. you, yeah, you have to just make sure that it, it gets outside of that shadow so you can yeah. actually see so it. The one exception to that is uh, if you're placing yourself. So, like, right. uh, like, flight is a place. So you don't have to actually be able to see the place you're going to. It just goes there. So, um, or, yeah. Or, I mean, I wonder... Would that affect hole in the wall when you're placing the model? Interesting. Hole in the world? Yeah, hole in the world. Yeah, would um, would that be something you have to take into consideration? So, um, I'd have to reread it because um, I think hole in the world is you're you're placing it, you're placing the model within the range. You're yes. not dropping you're not dropping or creating something, and I think this specifically has to do with that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because uh, I think a pl move, like a placement like that works entirely different. So yeah, I think you could, could still you could still throw them on the other side of a wall with hole in the world. Um, yeah. Do you have any others, Zach? Uh, the only other one that I'm noticing here uh, with aura terrain is where uh, things that make like hazardous auras. Says these are, these auras are treated as terrain for all purposes, and any model within that aura is treated as in base contact with that terrain. Um, there, There's going to be some shenanigans there with the grave goo. I just know it. I just don't know the, those shenanigans well enough to uh, tell you exactly what they are, but that's going to be a thing. I 100% believe it. Yeah, same, same thing with the Kurgan. I think that's the one model I've been using quite a bit that does it too, so I'll have to kind of dig deeper into that. So, After one of the things that I did, uh, after flipping through some of the FAQ or errata here that I found interesting, at least, was the the ledger domain clarification. I always find a lot of value in looking at errata documents where the card 100%, even as it exists now after the errata, 
doesn't answer the question at all. So you have to mm -hmm. know about this FAQ in order to understand how showmanship versus showmanship works. Uh, <laughs> there's no nothing on that on that card the, or on the ability showmanship alludes to what happens when you have two ledger domains up against each other. Um, essentially, it just shuts off the whole ability. Like neither one of them get to cheat face down or cheat second. It's just it happens like normal. And I, I think that's for whatever reason. I just find when something is broken to the point where they can't fix it on the card, uh, it's just unique. It makes me wonder if they aren't planning on introducing a lot more showmanship into the game because this is really the only instance that it exists right now that I can think of. Yeah, I don't think there was like an elegant solution to that problem other than, hey, just it, it just turns off. <laughs> yep. Which which there is a precedent for that. I think, I know there's a Rezor model, maybe it's the Dead Dandy, uh, that where they turn, or maybe it's uh, the, oh, I can't remember the name of the model, but they turn corpse markers into ski markers. And I think it says in there, both of them are turning it into a ski marker that neither one of them gets accounted or something like that. Something yeah, I think, I think I think uh, Morty has that. I think Morty and the uh, the Grave Diggers. Yep, that's the one. Have that. Grave Digger. Yeah. So but yeah, so that uh, that doesn't surprise me that they came up with that because yeah, that's precedent uh, for another model that can both do it at the same time. Right. Okay. Well, I think maybe we need to get uh, our boss man back here so we can stop the recording and we can send him down our files. <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Well, Brian, I hope you enjoyed your time <laughs> listening to us babble. Yeah. Lose no, this... internet and cut out. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Technical issues are technical issues, but this has been really fun. I absolutely enjoy talking about the game, and uh, I know that for me it's a big deal. But I, I really do like that Midwest cohesion. I just feel like our area of the world is just so unique in terms of um, having that connected community. I think. Uh, and maybe this is more of like a, a U.S. thing, but like uh, my bubble of travel exists in about like an eight hour ring around me. So like when I consider my area or my meta, it really is all of the neighboring states that are around me. And I feel like it's just so good to be able to interact from, with people that are in other areas in the Midwest to just kind of share our love for the game and project it out to the rest of the community. So it's been uh, wonderful being on here and, uh, and talking about this errata with you folks. Yeah, and honestly, it's great having you on. You're here. You're uh, far more eloquent in how you put forward your points than than we can be at times. So, so well, I, I enjoy listening to you talk about these things. Uh, if there's one thing I enjoy, it's talking. So, I, I'm, yeah. I'm happy to be we'll, here. We'll definitely have to have you on again. And uh, I guess before James comes and shut us off, we should probably do a quick little outro. I guess he can edit oh, yeah, all sure. this shit out. <laughs> um yeah i guess i guess i'll come up with some bullshit real quick um so yeah that's the uh that's our red episode talking over some of the basics uh we don't know anything about anything tell us that we're wrong thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time <laughs>